life can be a pretty scary proposition. We noted this morning that we live in a world which is, of course, under the curse of sin. I don't need to repeat again the various sorts of things that are common uh, and appear to be coming more and more common in our world uh, that we have a great difficulty comprehending. And yet it is the reality of a world which is under the curse of sin. And it is in such a world that we find with great comfort the statement mentioned in the text I just read, but repeated in Heidelberg Catechism number one, beloved statement of faith that gives us a, it grounds us in the sense of comfort we have in God, where we confess that not a hair can fall from my head without his will. Now there are one of two ways in which that can be responded to. There are those who would say, well, let's not take that just absolutely literally now. Of course not. Uh, it is a general principle that God is in charge of things, and you can have a level of trust. Look at all the things that could happen. On the other hand, we actually really truly believe that God knows the hairs in your head. And not one can fall without his will. Now this may not be an easy concept to comprehend. But that is what the scripture says, and the context of the passage is clear. It is to be taken seriously to the very point in which it is stated. In fact, uh, I wanted to read the greater portion because the context is very specific and that Christ is sending out his 12 disciples for a very specific mission. We need to note that. And it is a protection as they serve him. But you and I, not in the same exact commission as those 12 disciples were given, but you and I are called to be his people, to be faithful servants in his kingdom. In the very same way, our life is in the hands of God. Yes, we do confess the absolute sovereignty of God. Not as a theological term, it's a theological concept, but what does it mean very practically? Does it, in fact, because we know and confess that God is sovereign, does it remove all fear? But more than that, Jesus is, in fact, speaking about the will of the Father. That is based on the fact that he is an absolute sovereign God, that he is absolutely in control of all things. Further, it is speaking of a loving Father who has shed his love upon you, his adopted children, whom he has called to live in this world in which all these kinds of things can happen, and yet you can live in this world not in fear, but in trust and in hope. Our catechism in question number 26, speaking of the of the God's work or God as the creator, also says this. Says, Whatever evil he sends upon me and this troubled life, 
Not that God is the author of evil, but that God is in control of all things that do happen. He will turn to my good, for he is able to do it being almighty father of God, and willing also being a faithful father. And so, consider with me this evening for a few moments. Who do we really fear? In whom do we really place our trust, which is the opposite of fear, in some sense? Do we really know who that God is in whom we confess that not a hair can fall from our head? Now, I mentioned earlier the context in which Matthew uh, writes here that Christ has sent out his 12 disciples. And he warns them about what kind of a world that they are going to get into. And it's not a very pretty picture at all. In the same way, your Father has called you to serve Him in His kingdom. And it is in that context that Jesus speaks about the value of a sparrow. The value of a sparrow. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Now apparently it was the practice that in that day one could on the street, and the reference here to penny is not necessarily the same as to our penny. It is in fact a reference to the smallest, least valued coin that was available. Probably even a whole lot less value than our penny. And what can you buy for a penny? And yet he says that one could buy this little bird, usually roasted by some vendors, if you will, on the street, for a morsel of food for a penny. In fact, if you bought two of them together, you'd get a third one for two pennies. The point is that it is something that is almost Without value, the least valuable thing there is. And yet he says that least valuable thing in God's creation does not fall from the sky without God's will. It speaks of his care, of his creation, even to the point of such a worthless part of it. And of course, it speaks, therefore, to God's sovereignty. Compare that to the fact that you are a child of God. Not only made in his image, but we're talking about a child of God rescued from the grips of Satan, brought into the kingdom of Christ, enabled to be a servant in his kingdom, tasked to, to serve him in every part of our life, that we live in harmony with his will, that we live to bring honor and glory unto his name. And that valued life, God has promised that it is the Father's will who is fully involved in whether a sparrow falls to the ground or not. So much more in protecting you to the point of the very hairs on your head. Of course, what we need to understand here is that whether that what we are talking about is 
whether it is a worthless sparrow or whether it is a child of God. We're talking about God's creation. And it goes right back to what happened in the garden. The lie that was promoted was the idea that, that man can, in fact, be his own God. Can you keep the hairs from falling from your head yourself? It was really an attempt to see that God is less than God. And earlier we looked at the phrase in Heidelberg's Catechism also we find the phrase that I am not my own. In Psalm 139, the wonderful passage about God's sovereignty involving the life of his people, we read, there, beginning to read of verse 13, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. <clears throat> Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It is God's involvement in your life. The God who put you together in every detail, who knows who knew the details of your life before you even existed, is the God who is involved in every detail in your life, including the hairs in your head. To recognize that is the first sense in which we understand the concept of the fear of God, to understand who God is and what his creation is, to look up the stars and the skies and say, wow, we can't even begin in the smallest way to comprehend. That's the God whom we trust. The fear of God is also to know of God's reaction to sin. So, first of all, let me underscore again, the fear of God is to know who He is, the Creator, Sovereign God. But it's also to know God's reaction to sin, as Adam did. As soon as Adam sinned, he knew situation, and he ran and hid from God. When I say I found himself before the throne of God because of he feared God, he said, woe is me, I am undone. A healthy fear of God leads you to be sure and certain that you are covered by the blood of Christ. And it leads you to be ready to be faithful in your life as a child of God. Understanding his creation. A proper fear of his creation knowing that this creation has indeed received the curse and we see it coming out in different ways all the time. Now the other part of the lie that was told by Satan is that, in fact, you can replace God. Not only that you don't need God, you can replace God. Satan is a pretender. He does he does not control this creation. Satan has a lot of power. 
but he's only a pretender. Only God is the sovereign God. So the second fear, you're wondering about the way I've titled my sermon of fear or fear, which one is really the idea before you. When you don't have a healthy fear of God, which includes the reality of your creation which has been affected by sin, then you end up with a fear that is not healthy. Such a fear causes you to strike back in rebellion, as Cain did, or to run and hide or cower in the corner. Then life indeed is simply a scary proposition with no answer and no hope. Such fear is what Satan desires. It is what he sought Christ to do when he tempted Christ to bow down to him. It is destructive. Remember the context is being faithful in doing what God has called you to do. And central to that calling is that we are called out of this world to come into the very presence of God, first of all, in worship, meeting with Him face to face, Say, serving Him as we have worshipped, in, in a life of worship in which all of our life is dedicated unto God. But to look at the things that you face without seeing the appropriate relationship with God leads to a fear of leaving us incapacitated. We end up not doing anything. Christ told his disciples that they will be sheep among wolves. He said, I send you out into the world, but know that you will be persecuted. You're old, you'll be hauled into court. You're old. But, it, but he doesn't say because of that, go run and hide. No. Knowing when you serve me, you are under the protection of the Father. Let me make this comparison. I think we can understand this pretty well uh, here in this part of the world in which we live. When I see, when I look out at the sky and the clouds are turning and I see a tornado coming at me, I do not stand there and say, well, uh, I don't have to worry about it. God said not a hair can fall from my head without his will. And so, tornado, come on. But because the possibility of tornado does exist, I don't hide, incapacitate it in my basement 24-7 and become worthless in the kingdom of God. I go about the task that God has called me to do. Not only will such fear make you useless to Christ and his kingdom, it will lead to misery. And so here is what we have. It is a very clear distinction. There is either fear for God, a healthy fear, an understanding that he is the sovereign creator, though we don't understand very much about his creation. It's a healthy fear. Or well, there is a fear which is destructive. Now it is quite clear that what is involved in this statement in Matthew, which the authors of the catechism used to talk about, answer the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? 
is that as a child of God, one who fears God is one who has put his trust in God, and therefore there is two words which don't seem to necessarily go together, but they are one and the same, and that is the fear of God is your comfort in your life. Obviously, that means knowing God, God whom you trust. Let's get real. Do you really mean to say that not one sparrow falls to the earth without the will of God? Absolutely. Yes, what it says. He actually knows you and protects you to the point the hairs on your head. Yes, again. Be impossible to mention all of the passages, in addition to Psalm 139, which speak of the sovereignty of God and, in fact, speak of the sovereignty of God in a very clear way. Just think of it this way. He is the God who called Abraham out of a place of pagan life. He is the God who destroyed Egypt and all of its power and brought the children of Israel, a rabble-nothing people, out of Egypt. He is the God who brought Israel into the promised land and made the walls of Jericho fall down. And regarding our Savior, his Son, he is the one who said, I call my sheep, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. He sent the Spirit who works in your heart and has opened your eyes that you might have faith. Jesus is the King, and no power of Satan can stand up to his kingdom. This is the God whom we confess in terms of where is our comfort. It is in the sovereign God. Now part of this trust has to do with being whom you are called to be. Remember, it is one of the first part of the answer to the question, what is the only comfort of life and death, that I am not my own. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Not all are called specifically as the twelve in Matthew 10 to go preaching in that sense that they were called to. But you are all called to be disciples of Jesus. And a disciple is one who serves his master. Simply put, a disciple of Christ, you have been called and enabled because there's the connection again in serving God. It means that you have a healthy fear of God. You know him and you trust him you understand his creation, but not being overcome with the fear which disables you and sends you cowering, not serving the master. Remember, we are speaking of what, what God does according to his will. And the will of the Father is for you to live for him. Now we are probably still struggling a little bit with the word fear. It is a, it's not an easy concept as we see it used in Scripture in both aspects of that 
as I hope I have been able to help you understand just a little bit this evening. Fearing God is a biblical, healthy, comforting concept. It includes the fear that Adam had when he sinned. It includes the fear which Isaiah had when he found himself before the throne of God. It includes the reality that the children of Israel could only come before God by going into the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle by means of a high priest, the Day of Atonement. Now we stand in the very presence of God in the very Holy of Holies as we are now gathered for worship covered by the blood of Christ, fearing God is being recipients, provision to have the covering, the blood of Christ for sin. Probably one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture concerning the reality of this in the life of the believer. It's a favorite passage in Romans 8, chapter 35, or chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of these things, again, that I just read about here, in addition to what Christ said that, we, that Paul writes about here in Romans 8, all of these things are real. Just because God is the sovereign God does not mean that uh, viruses and wars and lawlessness goes away. But these things cannot separate you from the love of God. They don't incapacitate you. Through them we remain conquerors with Christ and His kingdom. Whatever God brings you in your life, He brings so that you can be a conqueror. Let's be clear. None of these things are a surprise to God. In fact, they are in his very hands, and he directs them and uses them for his purpose. God directs all things, not just so no hair falls, but also the things by which hair do fall. Note, it does not say, our confession does not say that no hair will ever fall from our head. It says without his will. He equally is involved when the things from our perspective are not going so well. But remember, his purpose. Think again of the words in Psalm 139. God knows you. Not just that he knows every detail about you, but also stated in Psalm 1, God knows the way of the righteous. His knowledge is not just a cognitive knowledge that he knows everything about you, but he knows you and that he guides and directs you. As we saw this morning, God knows exactly what is right for you. Even when, humanly speaking, we find ourselves dealing with things which bring great sorrow. We realize that. His protection, His purpose, His love for you is absolutely perfect. 
and nothing will destroy that. The reality that every believer is one with God in life and death is absolute. Not just a theory, not just a general principle. It is absolute. The healthy fear of God as we deal with life and all of its scary aspects comes from the reality that the God whom we fear is the God who knows us. The God who knows you know, when I said earlier that when we see a tornado in the sky, we know what to do. Not in every situation, exactly what we deal with and, and what we are challenged to be dealing with in our lives is sometimes very difficult. But what we do know is this. To live in fear is Iraq. Because it is to ignore the Creator God. You need to know what life as a child of God is all about. That means being faithful and exercising faithfulness, including the corporate worship as you are able. Being confident that you do that, you have the Father under whose loving care you live, and without whose care, and without His will, not one hair falls 